Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. He's like, I told you, it's a lose. Which seems appropriate, because if you buy this, you're going to lose. We use only shrimp oil imported directly from Palermo. I'm so sorry to get you all excited, Chain Pickerel, but it turns out Pennsylvanians still don't really like you. You cannot pull jerk a 15-pound fish into a boat on 15-pound pairs. <laughs> Bent! Good morning, degenerate anglers. Welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that's only interested in gas money trips because it can't afford to pay full charter rate. I'm Joe Cermelli. <laughs> I'm Miles Nolte, and as a former guide, I uh, I resent that intro. Oh, I bet you do. But you rode. There was no gas money. Oh, it come been on. A lu- it would have been a lunch money trip for you. No, no. We still had to drive <laughs> to the river. There was gas involved, and you're forgetting about paying for shuttles. Ah, right? shuttle. Yeah, shuttles. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Shuttle, shuttle and, money. I'll throw you some shuttle money next it's time. It's not. I, I hate it. I always hate that. Like, oh, you guys are just river guides. You don't have any <laughs> overhead. Anyway. Anyway. Moving on. So there's no rowing or shuttles involved, but I did get away for a long weekend with the family recently, which was nice. Mm -hmm. We went on some hikes up in the mountains, did some small creek fishing, which Mm -hmm. I love. Uh, And it was, man, it was just gorgeous. The cottonwoods were all like lit up yellow and and it was like that water that's so cold. It almost feels like it's hot, like it burns your feet, you know, and, and tiny little brook streams and the brookies were... Berkeys were like full on fall colors too, man. They were just glowing with the white rim fins and the black line gums. You know, you know how they get this time of year. Yes, and and I mean they're brookies, so they ate everything we threw at them. It was just, ugh, it was so. I nice. was going to say the best thing about a wild brookie is it'll eat anything, cigarette anything. butt, atoms. Doesn't make any difference. No, I literally <laughs> was changing changing it up just to see. Well, will they eat this too? Like yep. I, I, I found this thing. I found at the bottom of the bag. We'll eat that. It was great. <laughs> But I got to say, for as great as the weekend was, and we had a blast, you know what sucked? What? The coffee. Ah. Yeah. No, we were staying in this cheap <laughs> little Airbnb, and we forgot to bring our own coffee. And 
it was one of those moments where my wife and I, like, we looked at each other and we never thought of ourselves as coffee snob people, but we had this realization <laughs> that we have become them and that we've just gotten totally spoiled because every day we get up and we drink Black Rifle coffee. And as much as we didn't want to come home from the trip, we both genuinely missed waking up to like an excellent cup of brew. That was, that was the one good thing about coming home. I'll concur with that. Maybe I am a coffee snob now. I never thought I'd say that. But uh, my house, just like this podcast, runs on Black Rifle Coffee. And aside from the fact that they make a damn fine blend, they also have a coffee club that you can join. Just sign up, and the coffee you like shows up at your front door. Man, it's freaking magic. Okay? Magic. It's very, very 2020 subscription boxes, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You never have to worry about waking up to a house full of screaming kids, sometimes with a mild hangover to boot. And... Uh, Realizing, oh shit, we're out of coffee. Because it's just always there. You know, it's beautiful. It is. It is. It, it is kind of magical. I like the way you said that. And <laughs> not only that, but Black Rifle supports the Wildland firefighters who were out on the front lines battling those unprecedented fires of rage yeah. across the West this year. So they're a company you can feel good about giving your money to in addition to having good product, which I always like. So go to blackriflecoffee.com slash meat eater to get set up with your own coffee subscription if you use the promo code meat eater at checkout they will give you an additional 20 percent off your first order i just got to throw this out there man here at bent we uh definitely need to uh throw a shout out to the women and men sweating their respective genitalia off and literally putting their bodies in front of walls of fire yep which Thank i can't you. imagine because like nope. <laughs> I feel heroic after mowing the lawn on a hot day, you know, like sit down and survey the property. And I'm like, I did some, some real shit here today. Uh, but you know, like one thing to note uh, about those firefighters, they're not only out there saving homes and businesses, right? They're also protecting watersheds. So in Oregon, California, Washington, uh, Idaho, they've saved some critical salmon and steelhead spawning grounds in the process. And we greatly appreciate their work and sacrifice. Now yeah, we do. Speaking of spawning grounds, uh, word has it the famed Salmon River in Pulaski, New York, is now roid raging with king salmon, <laughs> teeming with mud sharks, as I like to call them, which means the sleepy hamlet is once again overrun with jabronis from NYC and Philly and Jersey and, and Boston, places where all my friends live. They're just out there slinging lead, gobs of yarn for giant tired fish that are rotting from the inside out. Personally, I avoid salmon season like the plague. I, I don't I don't go for the salmon run. I just wait for the steelhead to show up a little later. But um, I know many of you can't wait to be one of the 50 people flexing around a 50-foot-long hole. So this week, our friend Ray Liotta has the skinny on what's happening up there. And yes, we do mean that Ray Liotta, who quit smoking using Chanix and then replaced that addiction with salmon fishing. Hey. How you doing? This is Ray at Ray Liotta's Bait and Tackle in Pulaski, New York, calling in this week's Salmon Fishing Report. Based on what customers and a few trusted sources are telling me, the salmon are generally being assholes right now. They don't want to eat nothing but fancy flies presented on those long rods the kids hold like a Louisville slugger with two hands. You know the group I'm talking about, out there waving that shit around like ballet dancers. Spay casting, I think they call it. Anyway, word on the street is if you drift an egg sack past these salmon, they're like, F*** you, spay me. You bounce a piece of yarn right off their nose, and they're like, F*** you, spay me. <laughs> I'm just with you. 
We all know that fly fishing is shit. Last week, a kid got too close to me waving one of those rods around at the muskrat hole, and let's just say he can barely hold the call button next to his ICU bed, let alone a fly pole. <laughs> the kings have been running strong, but the silvers are slow to start. Those big bastard kings, though, haven't been able to resist a wad of kitchen sponge soaked in Ray Liotta's famous salmon sauce, only available here at the shop. I got Nikki and some kid named Wayne or Dwayne or whatever, something cooking up more than sauce in the back right now. We use only shrimp oil imported directly from Palermo, and Nikki slices the Velveeta so thin it melts instantly. The crowds have been so out of control, I've been sending little Jimmy Benelli out in the middle of the night to lock up a hole for me and the guys. He just sits there until sunup and as fishermen show up, he gently explains why it would be a good idea for them to fish elsewhere. <laughs> He's a good kid, and it's been working out real well. Two weeks ago, during the first big push of the Kings, I showed up at the lower clay pool at 1 p.m. after a few deliveries and breakfast with Karen, and there was nobody there. Not one angler. I was like, oh, Jimmy, you son of a bitch, you did it! That afternoon... It was like we were the kings of the river. We landed 47 salmon on yarn and pom-poms dipped in sauce before Tommy went home to get his spinner box so we could start snagging them in the assholes just for fun. Anyway, I'll check in with you next week. And remember, Ray Liotta's bait and tackle is here to serve yous 24-7 during salmon season. If the shop is closed, beat my pager and we can arrange a delivery of your tackle needs to one of our many off-site drop locations. I had no idea <laughs> that Ray got into the tackle business. Seems like a really poor choice. Uh, you know, I, I, the impression I get, it's, it's, it's one of many businesses he's into, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I've I bumped into him up there at the River House, but only on the nights when they got the Veal Parm special. You know, he's, he's a good guy. It's Ray Liotta. He's a good dude. Maybe. <laughs> it's almost enough, almost enough to make me want to go there and fish, but not quite. I, I got to say, though, dude, I am I am genuinely surprised that he was willing to give us a report. I mean, considering that we ripped off one of his lines and we use it in a segment intro all the time. Like, yeah, we just, we just steal his stuff. and He's like, yeah, it's fine. I'll work with those guys anyway. But speaking of which, I, I do believe that it is time for that segment. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh, my God. It is that time again for probably my favorite segment that we have. It's Smooth Moves, where we call up guides and captains and mates and pretty much anybody who is dependent on taking people fishing to make their living. And we get them to tell us ridiculous stories about things the clients have done. And today, we are talking with my good, good friend, Steve Daly, who is the only Tasmanian guiding for <laughs> trout in Arkansas that I know of. Steve, what's going on, man? Well, you'd be right for the first time, wouldn't you, buddy? How you doing? <laughs> There's a first time for everything, man. I'm good. I'm good. It's 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 nice to hear your voice, even that though is. we don't get to hang out that much anymore. <laughs> Do us a favor, man. Tell us the smooth moves you got. We're looking forward to this. What 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 what's your story? Well, you know I guide in the White River, and both you guys have been to our area on our water chasing big fish. And probably about 80% of the customers we have come in want a big trophy trout. And about 20% yeah. of the customers can actually physically and mentally get it done. 
And and for those of you who don't know, the White River does grow freakishly large brown trout. Yep. It just does. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. But they're incredibly hard to catch too. Like you need more than just, you need a skill set, you need attitude, you need luck, you need weather, you need the right guide, and everything's got to come together. And even then you can dick it up, okay? <laughs> so. God knows I know that. <laughs> I have this customer, Sherman. <laughs> I'll keep his name very secret, Sherman. Sherman <laughs> comes to visit and Sherman can fish, right? Sherman's got it all. He's got good skill set, good guy to hang out in the boat with, prepared to put in the work. He does it all. And we had this trip lined up and the weather conditions were looking really almost. He's like, man, I don't know if I can come and fish in the rain. I'm like, dude, half day, give me a half day in the morning. The water looks good. Everything is lining up and we get out there and like everything's just coming together. It's got that whole gothic, low cloud, you know, howl of the Baskervilles howling off in the hills. <laughs> the water's really greasy, you know. It's that, as Porter, Lucky Porter says, it's greasy water. And the fish are biting. And he's put 10 brown trout in the boat from 18 to 21. And we're doing a, we're doing a six-mile float. Damn. It's on, right? Yeah. We haven't got a big one. Yeah, I know. That's really sick, the, the fact that 22 isn't a big fish. <laughs> we're looking for a two-footer, and we came unbuttoned on one, and we've got to the last bank, and we're like 400 yards from the ramp, and we know we're coming out. It's like, man, I think we can get one here. This ledge is just – the ledge is just covered. And I tied on one of my flies. And let's just roll down here. And Sherman's a lefty, and I don't – on that left bank, he's fishing behind me in the drift boat. And he puts the fly up onto the ledge, gives it one strip off, and this behemoth just comes up. And if you – it's that pretty, pretty eat, right? Fish, mouth opens, inhales a whole six-inch fly. Yes, six inches. Just takes the whole thing. It's gone. It looks tiny going into this moor. And it socks into the corner of the mouth. And I'm just like, oh, God, it's, it's over. Right, I'm seeing, I'm already seeing the front page of Fly Fishing in magazine. It's going to be on Fly Fishing. It's going to be on the Drake. I'm going to be, I'm going to be holding it too, okay, in this, in this vision. But I haven't said anything, right, because I know it's all good. And, and Sherman's been so good all morning, right? This is meant to happen. And you can remember he's sitting here behind me fighting this fish. And I've looked over my shoulder. And this fish has come back and it's just rolled next to the boat and it's rolled sideways. So we've seen the full width of the fish. And I've seen at least a foot of fish. Okay. Oh. So that's like a 24 inch girth. Right? That's a 15 pound fish. Right next to the boat, tired. And I creeped down, I grabbed the net and I stood up. And I remember thinking in my head, I'm going to say, Sherman, next time around, we've got this fish. He's going in the net. And I heard those fateful words. Steve, what do I do? What do I do? Do I jerk it in the boat? I'm trying to process this shit. It's like, Jesus, am I on? Is this, is this like, you know, uh, bass fishing? Stuff's not connecting. And I watch his left, sorry, his right hand, because he's a lefty, right hand reach up on the rod and grab the blank. Oh, and at no. this point, I'm like, God. I'm like, all I can say is, no, no. And he has. He's tried it. And let me tell you, gentlemen, I can assure you, you cannot pole jerk, <laughs> you cannot pole jerk a 15-pound fish into a boat on 15-pound pairs. 
Oh and we my popped God. it off. Oh, oh no. Oh. That was it. And I didn't even get oh. to see the swim away. It's on the bottom and it's it's blown. Oh no. That's that's gutting. It, it was such a magical story when you were just talking about the eat, because I was thinking every big brown I ever have come after my fly happens when I pile cast and yeah. shit's wrapped around my legs. Like yeah. it's never on the perfect cast where he's like, he's gonna eat that one. Sometimes the fishing gods reach down. <laughs> and put a little light on your forehead. And that was our moment. And, and, and it I, apparently burned out right at the end game for and, this guy. Oh, dude, I've, I've spoken with <laughs> numerous psychologists to try and figure this shit out. <laughs> I'm trying to work, how does this never happen again? So I'm there, and I've, I've heard the first thing I've heard from Sherman, because I just can't speak. I can't even look at the guy, right? He's broken off the fish of a lifetime. So I can't look at him, and I just hear the one word of four letters starting with F just ringing off the hills of the Ozarks because he said it. <laughs> and then he turned to me and he said, uh, this is about five minutes later, I've got my head out of my hands. He said, Steve, I shit my pants, didn't I? And I said, Sherman, I cannot tell a lie. She <laughs> 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 did. Done. It was all over. So sad. I cry still. As Dally and his Fellow Aussies would say, that story was gutting. Gutting. I'm going to start using that word. <laughs> I wasn't even there and I'm still gutted. That's one of my favorite Commonwealth yep. phrases. I am gutted. And just for the record, I've, I have known Steve Daly for a long time, and I will vouch right here and now for the fact that he is more likely to underestimate the size of a fish mm. than overestimate it. So mm. I believe every word. Yeah, and I... I mean, I know Steve only by reputation. I've never met him, but I've been hearing about him for years. And I will say that man just knows how to tell a good fishing story. Mm -hmm. And not not everybody can do that. So mm -hmm. I vote for bringing him back on the regular. I second that. And there are only two votes here. So I think he's coming back whether he wants to <laughs> or not. And the guy, he's just a storyteller, like period, full stop. Yeah. I, I imagine that's part of what makes him a good guide. Because if the fishing sucks, you better be able to tell a good story. People aren't coming back. I've listened to that dude tell stories about cricket matches <laughs> and been completely enthralled, <laughs> even though I do not understand a single thing about the sport of cricket, like nothing at all. It's like baseball with flat bats and, and knickers. I think you have to wear knickers. <laughs> I don't I don't really know, dude. I'm not into much of anything British. I don't get cricket or rugby, river keepers, parliamentary government, why people think Oasis was so great. Oh, that one God. really rubs me wrong. No. But, uh, but I do know that our word for this week does have something to do with the Brits, and I don't want to steal your thunder, so I'll let Miles take it from here with the weekly word. Webster's Dictionary defines fish as... This week's word is angling, as in another word for fishing, as in while angling for halibut, the angler had an unfortunate encounter with a harbor seal and is now missing a few digits. Those of us who write about fishing, like Joe and I, find angling a useful term. It offers an alternative to fishing or fishermen, which is nice for a couple of reasons. One, writers get sick of using the same word over and over again. And two, the term angler is gender neutral, as is fishing. And as you're about to learn, it has been for a very long time. But where do we get angling? Is it actually a synonym for fishing? And would you believe its origin is entwined with the beginnings of the English language? To answer that, I have to go back a very long way, like the 5th century, way back to the Anglo-Saxons. You know, 
the Germanic peoples who colonized the British Isles after the fall of Rome and invented English, this language I'm speaking right now, well, the Anglo part of their name comes from the Angles tribe, whose original homeland, which they called Angul, was a peninsula in Denmark with a vague hook shape to it, if you really squint hard. The Angles were fishing people, and they carried their language and culture with them when they migrated west. Quick recap. English comes from the root Anglo, which got its name from the tribe Angles, who were named for a fish hook. So, in a weird way, our very language is rooted in fishing. By the time English became an actual language several hundred years later, the word angle referred to any curved object that could be used to hook a fish. The earliest known written work about fishing, titled Treaties on Fishing with an Angle, published in 1496, is often attributed to a badass hunting and fishing nun, Dame Juliana Berners. The book details how to make rods, lines, hooks, and lures, and even delves into concepts of ethics, private land, and conservation. Some historians disagree about whether Berners actually penned that work, or if she even existed, but no one has a better answer, so we're just sticking with the badass nun writing the first how-to book on fishing. Anyway, my point is, in that title, Treaties on Fishing with an Angle, the noun angle stands in for fishhook. Somewhat confusingly, in that same book, Berners also uses angle in the geometric sense. She spends a whole lot of time talking about the importance of the angle of rod to line for effectively casting and hooking fish. Though that word choice may have muddied her meaning a bit, it also might have helped transition the noun angle as in fishhook, into the verb to angle. Over the next couple centuries, the language evolved, as languages do, and angling became a well-established term. By the time Isaac Walton published his iconic book, The Complete Angler, in 1653, angling was just a common term for fishing, and it stayed that way ever since. So that pretty much covers where the term came from. And if you think about it, you can see that angling and fishing... They're not exactly the same thing. An angler fishes with an angle or hook. A fisherman just catches fish. Noodling for catfish doesn't count as angling. Neither does throwing a cast net, flinging a spear, setting a fish trap, or gathering shellfish. But all of those are fascinating and skillful ways of trying to capture fish. What I'm trying to say is, by that definition, I'd rather be known as a fisherman than an angler but it still doesn't solve the problem of what to call badass women who are good at all types of fishing. I'm stuck on this one because I really appreciate specific and accurate language. I think we need to come up with a new word that describes all people who like to pursue fish in all possible ways, but I don't have it yet. Uh, fishers, fish people, aqua lungs. I, I really don't know, but I want to know what you think. Let's figure this out together. Maybe we can come up with a new word and have it catch on. Hey, uh, what the hell was that, man? <laughs> <laughs> I got a little carried away. That was some rambling Russell Crowe beautiful mind shit. I don't, I don't know if any part of that was true, but I, I, I respect it, I guess, either way. Um, it's weird. Either way, you spent way too much time researching the roots of that word, or you're more creative than I thought. It's one or the other. I don't know. It's both. Uh, <laughs> it's actually both. 
Uh, I will say, though, that I like the idea of coining a new gender-neutral term to replace fishermen. If we actually ever pulled that off, we'd have to report on ourselves for fish news, but that's not happening this week. Fish news! That escalated quickly. So welcome to Fish News, the part of the show where we cue you guys into uh, all kinds of recent fishing and fish-related happenings. Out there in the world, uh, for those of you who have not been following along, this is a competition and a serious one at that. Very serious. Very serious. Friendly reminder that Miles and I do not know which news stories the other dude is bringing to the table, and our magical engineer, Phil, at the end of each news segment, weighs in to declare one of us a victor and one of us a complete and total loser. Last week, that was me, so um, maybe maybe I'll bring it this week. We'll see. Uh, but before we actually get to the news, Miles, I do believe you uh, you have a few comments you want to make about some 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 tools about tool. I do. tool you have I tool. Do. You have tool issues based on last episode. <laughs> well, I may have have technically won fish news last week. I also kind of proved myself to be a loser. So I told the story of a musk angler who freed a fish in Wisconsin from a diving ring using bolt cutters, and and in doing so. I made a snide comment wondering, well, who carries bolt cutters on their boat? Apparently, the answer is serious muskie anglers. (laughs) Listener Jeff Von Holtem writes, muskie anglers routinely carry bolt cutters in order to cut hooks during a difficult release. Jeff goes on to say, you try cutting an 8-0 4X strong mustad with a side cutter, you will struggle. So uh, (laughs) thanks for keeping me honest there, Jeff, and, uh, and calling it out when I screwed it up. Anytime we screw stuff up, we want to hear from you. And I got to jump in and say that I deserve to be called out as a dangus for that one, too. Because, listen, people, like, when you're recording this stuff in the heat of the moment, like, how many times we get done and I'm like, oh, I said some completely idiotic stuff. I've posted videos of people using bolt cutters on musky boats to cut (laughs) musky hooks out of themselves. I freaking knew that, too. And it was just nowhere in my brain. And yeah. I, then I just went to the default make fun of, of dirty people from Jersey like me. So I, I failed there too. Um, you know, we all fail sometimes. Hopefully I will not fail today, though it is a little bit more possible because the leadoff man in, in any news day tends to have a leg up. And this week, that is you, sir. It is. It is. And hopefully I won't, uh, I won't make an ass of myself this week, but we'll see. <laughs> Plenty of opportunities for that to happen. All right. So last week, the Army Corps of Engineers announced that they will open a public comment period for a fish farming pilot project proposed off the coast of Sarasota, Florida. This comes after the EPA issued the aquaculture developer Ocean Era a wastewater discharge permit for the project on September 30th. Now, this is not the standard inshore net pen fish farm that we're all accustomed to. Dubbed the Valella I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Valela, something like that. (laughs) Valela Epsilon Project. This is the latest outgrowth of Ocean Era's development of open ocean aquaculture pens. For the past decade plus in Hawaii, Ocean Era has been developing what they call aquapods, large copper alloy mesh orbs that can be deployed in the open ocean and house several thousand fish. The idea is that this could be a sustainable form of fish farming. Because the pens are in open ocean, tide and swell activity could theoretically disperse waste instead of concentrating it in bays and estuaries, which is what happens with traditional aquaculture. And uh, I got to say, the engineering on these things is pretty mind-blowing. 
So what they're talking about doing is is they're going to drop this pen 45 miles out to sea in the Gulf of Mexico and leave it there for 12 to 18 months to test it out. It would be secured with what they call a multi-anchor swivel mooring system. The pen would be attached to three different three-ton drag anchors by two-inch steel chain in about 130 feet of water. So most of the time, the pen is just would be floating there on the ocean surface. But when a storm approaches, the flotation system can be flooded with water so that it sinks to the bottom. And, and the theory here is that the, the pen itself will be safer from wind and waves and surge in the middle of a storm if it's down on the bottom, if it's below everything. All of this, the whole thing is controlled remotely and just requires a one single weekly technician visit to refill the fish feeder and recharge the generator. Ocean Era claims that their previous tests of similar pens in Hawaii produced outstanding fish while leaving no significant impact on ocean ecosystems. But local critics of this project are not buying it. They argue that the area is already struggling with massive red tides exacerbated by mm. elevated levels of nitrogen and yeah, phosphorus in the I, water. That's what I was thinking about. Yep. That part of the world is red tide central. Exactly. And, and they're saying, like, these pens could add to the problem. Additionally, like any other aquaculture, right, the, the fish in these pens could carry infectious disease. And so if this kind of untested technology were to fail and the fish could escape, they might do harm to, to local fish populations. As of right now, commercial fish farming in federal waters is prohibited. Ocean Era is working to secure EPA permits for this test, but for right now anyway, they can't go any further than that. A federal court of appeals held that offshore fish farming in federal waters cannot be permitted under current policy. That just happened in August. So large-scale offshore fish farms remain illegal unless Congress passes new legislation. So why is Ocean Era even bothering with all this research and testing if the scaling up of this technology is just not allowed? Well, because it might not be illegal for long. Senator Marco Rubio the, from Florida recently mm -hmm. introduced <laughs> the Advancing the Quality and Understanding of American Aquaculture Act, or the Aqua, for short. <laughs> that would <laughs> <Let's get> open up. <laughs> <laughs> How many times did he have to write that out? Some, some, you know, some aid in paperwork. I already forgot it. I'll just go with Aqua. <laughs> aqua. 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 If, it, if that passes, it would open up offshore federal waters to fish farms. And, and that follows a Trump administration executive order mandating an expansion of American aquaculture. All right. So that's a lot. I know. I, I just want to step in here at the end and say, I'm not going to claim that this issue is simple because it's not. We, we know that current fish farming practices are detrimental to ecosystems and wild fish populations. We've seen that happen. We also know that global demand for fish and seafood isn't sustainable. We're, we are literally fishing out the oceans. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in theory, sustainable aquaculture that offers a potential solution that the idea of sustainable aquaculture is, is really attractive. If we can figure out how to raise fish on an industrial scale without destroying habitat, I mean, I'd be all for it. That'd be great. But I'm wary of fish farming in general because it has a terrible track record. And, and, you know, I gotta say, like, I'm, I, I have to clear one thing up. I'm talking explicitly about fish, not mollusks or bivalves. Oyster farming seems to be working pretty well. Right. Uh, but, 
you know, much like sulfide mining near sensitive watersheds, this strikes me as the wrong place to test this technology out. Like you were saying earlier, Joe, like the Gulf of Mexico, that whole area is already dealing with a lot and adding more potential stress to that marine system. Just that just it seems really risky. It just does. Yeah. So this is one of those deals where on paper, it sounds like a good idea. But I mean, I have so many questions, which you might not have the answers to. I mean, uh, first and foremost, like what kind of fish are we raising in a, in a copper bubble 45 miles offshore? So they've done it with a few different kinds of fish. The ones that they did in Hawaii or are Campeche. It's a, it's a type of fish that's out there. But the ones that they want to do in Florida to test this out are jacks. Which kind of blows my mind because she wants to eat jacks. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a kind that, of jack. That's, that's that classic fish that like one in 50 guys is like, oh, what are you talking about? Them crevals is delicious. <laughs> They're it's not like jack one crevals. dude. Oh, I wish I could remember the exact species, but it's, yeah, uh, it's yeah. almacos. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. I, I, yeah. I actually just caught some almacos here in Jersey a couple weekends ago. How about that? Um, I mean, I feel like, you know, when, when you're talking about farmed salmon and things, a lot of times you, you have these farms in places where those fish don't naturally exist. Therefore, when something goes wrong, it's 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 catastrophic, right? right. So, I mean, if we're raising a fish that if hypothetically all got released 45 miles offshore wouldn't make any difference anyway, I, I mean, I feel like that's, that's a little safer in that regard. It, except for one thing, right? Yes, they're native to that area, but they've been pumped full of all kinds of antibiotics and stuff. So them getting out could potentially, like, yeah. there, there there could be a problem there. It's not like there's no risk. Yeah, and 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 for anybody, you know, this this is like a new idea too. So Hawaii had a version of this, and yeah. I've only ever fished in Southern California one time, but I don't want to get off on it. But I was so blown away once we got into Mexican waters; they weren't in U.S. waters just these miles of pens out in the open ocean. And I'm like, what yeah. is that? And they're like, they're tuna pens. They're mm-hmm. full of bluefin tuna. And that was the first time I ever saw any sort of open ocean pen farm, whatever you want to call it. So it's, it's, I think the, the, the method here uh, is new, but I mean, stuff like this to some degree has been done before. Um, I will say that if they put it out there, I mean, if you're a mahi fisherman, that's your spot. I mean, oh, can no you just doubt. imagine? Oh my god! Can you just imagine? I mean, that's the world's biggest. What is it called? A fid, uh, fabricated, uh, whatever. They're they're illegal. Fad, fad, fad. Fish, yeah, uh, f- uh, yeah attracting device. Uh huh. So you know, um, I, I I think it's an interesting idea. I get what they're saying too about the wastewater. That does make sense because a lot of these issues stem from the, the wastewater that that farms produce. So yeah, you have the tide naturally f- flushing out all the fish shit. Yes, it's, it's I don't I don't I don't know, man. Like it's it's such a it's such a big picture thing. It's, there's it's there's huge. no right or wrong right now. There's pros I, I, and cons I, 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 to the whole yeah. deal. And and this like this one pen, right? You're talking about like a pretty small scale thing. It's it's not this, it's not the test that's the issue, it's what it opens the door to on a bigger scale. That's the right. thing that's potentially an issue. So uh I, I mean I recommend everybody who is out there who's concerned with this, like do your own research, come to your own conclusions. Uh, the public comment period's not open yet for the Army Corps of Engineers, but it will be soon. And and contact them. Let them know what you think. Give them your thoughts. Make your voice heard. Uh, and, and one other thing before we move on, Joe, I totally mispronounced a Hawaiian word in there, and all my, my people will hate me. It's Kampachi is the name of that fish. Not Kampache. <laughs> Kampachi. Okay, you've righted, you've righted your wrong uh, this time. I will just tack on that... Um 
feel bad for that one lone dude who has to make the 45-mile run there and back once a week to, to, to feed the fish. That's a terrible job since everything yeah. else is remote. But <laughs> anyway, so we'll, I'll transition us here from uh, growing them, growing fish, to slaughtering them in an interesting story here. And, and I feel like we've tried pretty hard to keep the COVIDs out of our news because like who, like we're we're all hearing it, right? But this one was just too juicy for, for me to let it go. So this story comes to us from Sky News. Headline, coronavirus, colon, half a million sharks could be killed for vaccine, experts warn. I heard about this. I didn't dig into it, but this I heard about this. All right. This is I one I was legitimately got. I was worried that you were gonna grab because I, I could see either one of us. This is this, this has yeah. some, some I mean, miles it's, it's, notes it's, to it for except sure. Except it's shark, so it's pretty, you know, it's pretty much yeah. a Joe story. Yeah. <laughs> so from this story, half a million sharks could be killed for their natural oil to produce coronavirus vaccines, according to conservationists. One ingredient used in some COVID nineteen vaccine candidates is Squalene, 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 like slippy, slappy Samsonite. <laughs> we'll go squalene because I'm going to say yeah. it a million times. Uh, so whatever, uh, and that, which is a natural oil made in the liver of sharks. British pharmaceutical company GlaxoSmithKline currently uses shark squalene in flu vaccine. And the company said it would manufacture a billion doses of this adjuvant for potential use in coronavirus vaccines in May. Now, according to this story, Around 3,000 sharks are needed to extract one ton of squalene. And Shark Allies, a California-based group, suggests that if the world's population received one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine containing the liver oil, to make that happen, around 250,000 sharks would need to be slaughtered, depending on the amount of squalene used. Now, we're all following the news on COVID. How do you not? It's crammed down your throat. And I, what, what we're hearing, at least from a lot of sources, is that it, if and when there is a vaccine, it's probably going to be a double doser. You know, you go yeah. back for your booster shot. So this story says if two doses are needed to immunize the global population, which is likely, according to researchers, this would increase the shark death to half a million sharks would have to die to provide enough squalene for all those vaccines. Damn. Right? So... Um, this goes on to say, to avoid threatening shark populations, scientists are testing an alternative to squalene, a synthetic version made from fermented sugar cane, uh, which, which is cool. Now, according to estimates made by conservationists, around 3 million sharks are killed every year for squalene, which is also used apparently in cosmetics and machine oil. Uh, and there are fears that a sudden rise in demand for the liver oil could threaten populations and see more species become endangered as many species rich in squalene, such as the gulper shark, are already vulnerable. Um, I, sorry, gulper shark. I've never heard of you. I had to look that no. one up. That's a, no, I don't know that one. It's, so it's a member of the dogfish family uh, and, and apparently lives in very deep, murky water all around the world. Um, it's got like these weird green eyes. Gulper shark. Never heard All of it. Right. Now, of course, right, this piece is illustrated with stock photos of, of great whites and such. And I don't <laughs> think anybody yeah. is hunting great whites down for their squalene. Uh, but I, I got to be totally honest, man. This is legitimately news to me. I was not hip to the use of any shark byproducts um, in vaccines. However, no. I will say that sadly, right, I feel like this is your classic COVID story that's just simply like, not likely to make the impact certain people are hoping it will. 
You know, because like we're so beaten over the head yeah. with COVID numbers and vaccine news, and now the president's got it, and blah blah blah. And like it'll have the same impact as those buried COVID stories, like science confirms Yorkshire Terriers, most common carriers among dogs. <laughs> you know, it's like there's so many bigger picture COVID things going around that I, I just don't know, you know, if this is going to have the impact. Um, but to throw in a little devil's advocate, just to keep it unbiased, unlike the real news, we keep it unbiased here. Uh, I found another story <laughs> about this on EchoWatch.com, and here are just a couple interesting factoids from that one. Squalene has been used in flu vaccines since 1997, Boston 25 News reported, and has a, quote, excellent safety record according to the CDC, that was in the Miami Herald. It could also help reduce the amount of vaccine needed per person, squalene. So you could mm-hmm. have, to, it, it can right. help there. And then in a popular online campaign, Shark Allies outlined the non-shark alternatives for squalene already in existence. Plant-based oils can be harvested from things like yeast, wheat germ, sugar cane, and olive oil. Um, but the problem with these alternatives is that they are about 30% more expensive and harder to extract than shark-based squalene. Oh man! So, if this is all accurate, right? This is a this is a dilly of a pickle now, isn't it? Because you and I and everyone at Meat Eater and everyone pretty much in the outdoor industry aligns themselves with conservation efforts. We've talked on this show before about how you and I agree with shark conservation in particular. Absolutely. Um, but then, like, given the circumstances. I feel like most people's reaction to this story in this country right now would be like, hey, if killing a shitload of sharks gets me a safer vaccine faster and we get through this bullshit, like just kill them. Like anything that will get us back to normalcy right now. So the organizations fighting against this and trying to push these synthetics, man, you got a hard fight ahead of you right now, you know, yeah. and especially because nobody and knows what a gold shark time. is. Exactly. Exactly. Right? It's not like it's not like we're going to pause this process of developing and disseminating a vaccine so that we can have an argument about shark populations. Yeah, that's 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 not going to happen. And I'm not even arguing that it should. I, I, I'm in the same boat. It's like on one hand, you want to be like, no, this is ridiculous. But on the other hand, look, look what we're de- we're dealing with this unprecedented pandemic. And at first, like I said, I, I didn't even know that that was such a thing, using shark liver oil I- I- as an additive to to vaccines. Who knew? No, I mean, there are all kinds of weird additives in, in vaccines and other injectables and, and medicines, right? Like, I, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but the, you know, the harvesting of, of uh, horseshoe crabs in order to produce basically every it, single it, vaccine And it damn ever. near wiped them out in certain places. We exactly. don't see horseshoes on the beach like we did when I was a kid. That's a good point. Yeah. So, you know, it's there there is a long-standing precedent for this and unfortunately there there are two forces that are just going to be stronger or maybe fortunately, I don't know. There are two forces that are going to ultimately outweigh anything that has to do with shark, shark conservation. One is public health and two are market forces, right? If it's if it's cheaper and yep. more effective to yep. take it from the sharks, that's, that's where it's it. going to come from. That's so, it. So hopefully they keep it to the gulper sharks. Sorry, gulper sharks. But, you know, at least it's not Mako's or black tips on the flats, at least not yet. So if we can get if we can get through this with the gulper sharks, all the other yeah. sharks will be OK. My, minus the shark finning and all that stuff, you know. 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. For the next story I've got, I'm I'm working through a little self-loathing over over the second story I chose in general. Bring it on. Uh, Good. And and <laughs> it is a far cry from uh from net pens or or shark killing or coronavirus. Oh, wait, anyway. you hear my next story. It's a far cry from being worthy of being in news. But go oh, ahead. well and, and this so like <laughs> to call what I'm about to report on news really is stretching the bounds of anything remotely journalistic. <laughs> but screw it. Here goes. So you know that old axiom, if you give a room full of monkeys typewriters and in an infinite quantity of time. They would eventually produce the works of Shakespeare. Have you heard that? Yeah, I, yeah. I have. Yes. So this story is kind of like that, except instead of monkeys with typewriters, they're, uh, they're fish in a tank. And instead of the words of Shakespeare, it's a terrible video game. A gamer in Japan <laughs> who goes by the handle Mutekimaru taught his pet <laughs> beta you fish. That's so smooth. Like, just perfect. <laughs> Dude, I took Japanese lessons as a kid. Come on. Did you really? As part of the curriculum. Oh, man. Again, grew up I in Hawaii. Swear. Lots of Japanese, lots of other other languages we had to speak. Uh, anyway, so so this Mutekimaru guy taught his pet beta fish how to play the video game Pokemon Sapphire, kind of. Oh, now, Lord. Yeah, cool. now this gamer <laughs> did like this. 
He did this as a stunt to attract people to his channel, which worked, but it produced some unintended results that are actually kind of interesting, at least to me anyway. So Mutegimaru gritted out his fish tank and through a mechanism that I, I, I truly don't understand, he somehow connected it to his Game Boy Advance. When his two fighting fish named Maurice and Lala entered a certain part of the tank, they tripped a button on his Game Boy, thereby allowing the fish to play the game. And uh, okay. the first interesting result of this experiment was proving that Pokemon Sapphire does not require any intellect at all. In fact, apparently <laughs> one doesn't even need basic sentience because the fish were able to advance pretty far in the game. The second interesting result, however, is that these fish found a bug or a glitch in the coding that Come no on. one else has been able to find in the 18 years that this game has existed. Come right. on. So this jumped out at me because my dad was a video game designer. And really? when I was a, yeah, really. Uh, dude, your dad's a video game designer. You speak Japanese. I'm learning so much shit about so, you today. So many things about, I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> Let's not, I, I took some lessons when I was in elementary school. I can maybe count to 10. Um, but yeah, when I was a kid, my friends and I were conscripted as beta testers. And basically what that means is we sat around for hours playing early versions of video games looking for bugs or situations where the games didn't work like they were supposed to. This may sound like fun, but, but I was never very interested in video games and I was never very good at them at all. So, you know, like some kids disappoint their fathers because they're too into video games and too good at them. And I was the exact opposite. Anyway. This is so funny. Do we, I got to cut in for one sec because <laughs> like every video game system I had growing up, my dad bought like for himself. Like I played them a little bit. But I was never enthralled. I play my original Nintendo more now than I did when I got it. But like my dad beat Resident Evil in three days. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. as you were. No, I mean, like literally when I was a kid, there'd be situations where my dad would be like, hey, son, you want to go play some video games? I'd be like, no, nah, not really. You <laughs> no, want to go play fishing. outside? He's <laughs> yeah. like, no, not really. Anyway, my point back to that, what I was talking about, there are my point is that Thousands and thousands of hours go into beta testing video games before they even go to market. This game was released way back in 2002. So in addition to that, God knows how many hours of actual like gameplay time it had. And yet no one found this game crashing bug until Maurice and Lala, the fighting fish, got a crack at it. I guess I guess that's why they called them the beta fish. Right, because they're so good at the beta testing. But um bump. <laughs> Ding. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. So the first question I, I have: um, What is the COVID status in Japan? Has this poor man been in quarantine in his apartment in Japan <laughs> since December? Because I mean, I didn't look into that aspect of this. I just saw something pop up online the other day that was like, thirteen-year-old figures out nuclear fission or cold fusion in his garage. It's like, dude, if you have this much time to train beta fish to play Pokemon, cure cancer, a, man. There's no cure training. COVID. There's no training. You just like created a little grid system in their tank. And when they swam in that area, it would push buttons and that would make the gameplay. It was, it was a total gimmick. And he, this is again, that's why I used the monkeys with typewriters making Shakespeare things. Give the fish enough time pushing random buttons and things happen. It's dude. It it is funny though because this man taught two 
fighting fish, how to play a video game. <laughs> and I'm in the basement now with a five-year-old, like trying to explain why she's not killing the ducks in Duck Hunt. I'm like, you have to look, you have to put that little em. thing on the tip of the gun on the duck. Don't just fire wild. Like I can't, I can't get my kid to consistently shoot ducks in Duck Hunt. But this man has taught fish how to play a much more advanced game than Duck Hunt. It sounds like that. Yes. Yes, it does. Oh, my God. Well, he has a lot of nothing to do, I will say. <laughs> Clearly. Like that's, that's, he needs some other hobbies. Um, there's some great fishing in Japan. Can I, su- can I suggest can that? I suggest you world, do that. World record largemouth came out of there. But <laughs> put your mask on, grab, grab a leather swim bait, and go down there and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Teach yourself to catch those. Uh, this man deserves a medal. I don't have one for him, but how about a pin? Okay. Here comes my, mm. my ridiculous comes my ridiculous story. This is a goofy one, and I actually I debated it, but I just had to because I just laughed very hard. Um, and before I get into this story, a couple things. So back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean like the fifties and sixties and such. Some of you might be aware that many states used to issue a button as a fishing license. You know what I'm talking about, right? I like do. they're yep. they're collectors' items now. Like if you yeah. look at Antique stores and flea markets see all these old pins, you know, Ohio, 1958. Um, And, you know, they're super collectible. uh, But instead of a paper license, you'd get a sweet button to put on your fishing vest. Well, the state of Pennsylvania still offers buttons. Of course, these days, it's just a novelty. Um, You know, most people just go with the paper license. But if you want to pony up an extra 10 bucks, you can still get a collectible fishing license button. So there's that. Now, the next thing, I love chain pickerel. I am all about the littlest member of the Esox family, and I have sung their praises for years in videos and written works and so forth, and I target them often, uh, but for the most part, I think it's fair to say people find pickerel to just be a nuisance, right? Especially bass guys, because chain pickerel clip that wacky rig Senko off real quick, right? They're a pain in the ass. But to me, they are underappreciated underdogs. So imagine the twinge of the light I got when reading this headline on the website of Chester County, PA, mychesco.com. Voters select chain pickerel design for Pennsylvania's 2021 collectible license button. No way. And I thought, finally, finally, the lowly chain pickerel is getting some uh, respect. And I thought, geez, a vote? There was a vote, which means enough people respect the chain pickerel in PA that its legions of fans trumped all the other options. How terrific. And here's what the story said. During an online poll held from September 17th uh, through the 30th, a total of 1,453 voters cast their ballots to choose between four different options. The fish skin design featuring the scales of a chain pickerel was the runaway winner, earning 676 votes, nearly 50%. That's Good fantastic. For, that's, isn't that terrific? That is. And that's I, like, and I, <laughs> if we had one out here, the equivalent would be if someone put the white fish on it instead of a trout. And, and I would be very happy if that were to happen. But wait, just because I was so proud, right? At that point in the story, I was so proud. And then I, I, I read on and it says, a single color conservation green option was the second most popular choice. <laughs> Earning okay. 283 bo- votes. A classic red and white bobber design placed third with 279 <laughs> votes. A design featuring a life jacket rounded out the field, collecting 215 votes. So to rehash that, the measly amount of people that voted had pickerel skin, green, bobber, and life jacket to pick from. Which means nearly 50% of the barely 1,500 voters went, well, 
shit. I, I mean, I, at least that one's a fish. Yeah, I'll go I, with the fish. You could have put it like the dull gray sides of a bowfin as an option, and yeah. it would have beat out life jacket. I mean, nobody wants to wear a life jacket, <laughs> let alone sport a piece of flair with a life jacket. Look at my life it. jacket button that I've got on my life jacket. And I just, I thought that was comical. On the flip side, though, you know, at some point there's a discussion at PA Fish and Wildlife about pin options for that year. And, and the boss is always like, Brooke or Brown Trout, you know? But there's yep. the one dude like me, the intern, that's like, how about a pickerel? And finally this year, they were like, Timmy in the mailroom has been saying pickerel for eight years now. Can we just give it to all him? All right, fine. Let's yeah, do pickerel. Exactly. But anyway, I'm so sorry to get you all excited, chain pickerel. But it turns out Pennsylvanians still don't really like you. Uh, the only reason you won is because you're an actual fish. I might have to buy the button just because. This will year. you buy me one, too? And, yes. and you know what? If you're smart... You will also buy one for Phil the engineer because he is the decider yes. as to who will be the grand champion winner this week. And as soon as Phil has has issued his uh, his validation and his vanquishing, we will then move on to see what kind of tasty items we have found this week in the sale bin. And I think we're going to take a dip into sheer stupidity. <laughs> that we are. Joe Cermelli is the winner this week. <laughs> Look, I surprised even myself. Normally, I would gladly take a Pokemon story over a COVID story. But those shark vaccines are just too interesting to ignore. But don't worry, Miles. You're still the very best, like no one ever was. Catch them all. Gotta catch them well, why did you put the head in the paper? You don't know what I'm getting at. Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. Okay, so to preface this item, which I found on OfferUp, uh, it's a little complex, okay? But that said, it might be the most fabulously stupid attempt at shady private online goods dealing I have ever seen. Right, So the seller is located in Barry, Texas, which is the middle of nowhere. And remember that because it's going to make this funnier when, when we get into the meat of what we're dealing with here. All right? And I feel like I feel like I got a preface before we dive in too much, Joe, by saying that when you first brought this to me, I was totally confused and I didn't get it. So, I, But now that I do get it, it's pretty ridiculous and it's pretty damn funny. And I cannot believe that this guy is trying to pull this off. Well, that's what makes this complex because to just look at it at face value, like if you if you're not if you don't have the inside track on this, it, you'd probably skip right over it. But but once we we divulge the the crazy, right? You guys will understand. So the title of the post is "Lose Fly Reel." That's it. Okay, and, and lose and it's as, lose L E W apostrophe S, not L O S. So yeah, lose as many of you know. Uh, they are longtime makers of conventional bass rods and reels, but they do not make fly reels. No. So I will do my best to explain this idiocy, okay? Picture a fly reel loaded with line, but the reel has no middle. There's nothing so, in the middle. Nothing in the middle. So it essentially looks like a giant ball bearing with a real foot, okay? Yeah. There's, there's nothing in the center. There's no drag knob, none of the usual support structure that tie a normal fly reel together. Um, and this struck me as odd, even more so when I read this very short and sweet description. Brand new, never used, not cheap, will trade for a lose bait caster. 
So in a very cryptic way, the title of the post is actually saying, will trade lose baitcaster for this fly reel? Okay. So I'm looking at all the pictures trying to figure out what's going on here because something is not right. And then it hit me, right? I do not use chewing tobacco, but a good friend of mine does. And a few years ago, he presented me with a special edition tin of Grizzly Long Cut. Now, why did he do this? Because he knows I love fly fishing and there is a very pretty trout on the actual tin. And that tin is nestled right in the center of a fake 100% non-functional decorative fly reel, okay? So I raced to my closet to dig this, this tin out to confirm my suspicion, and I was right on the money. You pop the, the tin of actual dip out of the fly reel and are left with what this Momo is trying to trade for a lose bait caster. Uh, on some level, you got to respect that hustle. I mean, it's it's terrible. No, nah, no. There's there's hustle, and then there's like scam artist. And this is pure <laughs> and simple. This is my best guess, right? I, we'll never know. Uh, so a back up. I reached out to the gentleman with a simple question. What brand of fly reel is that? And... Uh, Oddly, got no answer. This no, guy never weird. got back to me. Yeah, who, huh. so he's like, I told my- you, it's a lose. <laughs> Which seems appropriate, because if you buy this, you're going to lose. <laughs> Banger. Love that. This is my guess, right? He needed a fresh tin of dip. And the one gas station in Barry, Texas, was out of his regular Grizzly long cut, which forced him to buy his favorite chaw in this commemorative fly fishing tin. So he chews the dip while bass fishing, realizes the tolerance in his Johnny Morris Signature Series baitcaster aren't as tight as they used to be, <laughs> looks down at the now empty, useless, fake fly fishing cradle and has his aha moment. But dude, uh, think about this. Or hold on. I, maybe I'm just being the least cynical. Maybe I just am giving this guy the benefit of the doubt and I'm wrong. But maybe he knows so little about fly fishing or fly fishing reels. He's like, huh. So this is what a fly fishing reel does, huh? It well, doesn't right. turn. It doesn't know, turn. There's no I, function. It doesn't turn. It's got fake line on it. What do you do with that? Yeah, you're, I know. I know. But, I was, I was but, trying to give the benefit of the doubt. I, I shouldn't have. Here's the part that I want to know, right? What if somebody had actually bit on this? Like, what if somebody was like, hey, man, I got a lose laying around, and that's a real sweet looking fly reel. What would this dude have done? Grab the bait caster and ran like hell? Like, I, how would the transaction have gone down? Yeah, that's a good question. How are you gonna, how are you gonna do that? I don't know, because as soon as you, you've actually held one in your hands. You own one, so I, you know better I than I do. One. I've just looked at the photos. It's real hard to tell. But you're saying as soon as I pick this up, I would go. What? You no, would, it's, no, it's 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 nothing. It's hollow aluminum. It's not. It's it's. It may as well be a paperweight. I mean, it has zero function. It's not a reel. It's a it's a friggin' dip tin. Like, a, and it's not even the tin. It's like the housing of the tin, right? So to that end, because we know this one is a little bit more complicated, and some of you might want a better understanding, um, we put together a little product demo, and we're posting that on me and Miles' Instagram pages. So that's at joe.cermelli138 and at watermiles. Um and we may or may shred this dipshit a little harder in said product video. So check that out, okay? This may not be the only time that we post photos to our, our, our Instagram accounts to try and back these up. Because sometimes you need a little visual help. Yeah, so needs a little, visual. More, yeah. so, it needs a little so visual. Be ready for that. 
Yes. And uh, as always, if you find something fishing related for sale online that you think we need to see to believe, do keep shooting those links to us at bent at the We've been getting a bunch of great items from you guys. Keep them coming. Thank you. We are almost out of time, but before we go, Joe has an end of the line segment that was like, honestly, legitimately eye opening for me. Oh, I'm humbled. I'm, no, seriously, <laughs> man. Like I've, I have long been familiar with, with that lure, the one you're about to tell him about, but I had, I had no idea about its right coast, not so cult following. And I, I'm not going to say anything else. Cause I want to let you tell it, but you know, for a, those of you out there who are keyed into the East coast striper scene, this one will probably come as no surprise, but for those who rarely fish east of the Mississippi, you guys might, you know, actually learn something from this podcast for once. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. The musky mania dock might just be the worst kept secret in striper fishing. But the funny thing is, to the uninitiated, nothing about it would suggest it has any sort of magical abilities. To the untrained eye, it's just an oversized spook. A massive version of the dog walkers that have been calling up green and brown bass the world over since Hank Parker was a boy. In fact, the 9-inch dock looks downright goofy, and viewed from the underside, the slightly flared gills make it a dead ringer for a massive male member standing at full attention, which has prompted countless nicknames for the plug I need not get into, and endless jokes when you pull one out of your tackle bag. The joke, however, is on the non-believers. Unlike its little cousins that have internal BBs or perhaps a few little knocker balls, the dock has a set of metal balls that would make ACDC blush. It produces a clack like no other topwater, which is a key element to the dock's ability to call stripers, particularly big girls that chow whole adult bunker out of what you swear is a completely dead ocean. Legendary muskie angler Pete Mena is the mastermind behind the dock, and while there has always been some crossover appeal between striper guys and musky dudes when it comes to lures, without question, no musky lure has infiltrated the striper scene this deeply since surf casters in the 1940s and 50s latched on to the Creek Chub Pikey Minnow. Now, details about who figured out the secret first are hazy and debated, but the dock first hit the striper scene in the early 2000s. What those early pioneers also figured out is that the money is the unpainted, natural bone-colored blank. Even though the dock is available in 10 colors, I've never seen a Northeast salty guy hucking anything but the bone. And what Northeast anglers also learned in short order is that the split rings and bronze hooks that come stock on a dock were pretty worthless in the brine, which has sparked years of debate videos and articles on the best terminal tackle hooks and configuration for retrofitting these lures. Now, while you'd be hard-pressed to find a striper guy around here that won't tell you the dock is deadly, they'll also all tell you the lure is a complete pain in the ass to fish. The most notable problem is that the hooks are spaced so far apart, you tend to only get one of those trebles in a bass's mouth which gives them leverage during the fight to twist, which can open the split rings, just pull the hook, or bend the hook out. Put it this way, many big bass dreams have been shattered because of this flaw. The dock is also so big, awkward, and oafy that you need a fairly beefy rod to deliver it, and to get it walking properly, you're going to give your arms and shoulders a serious workout. Fishing it all day, I can tell you from personal experience, sucks. 
The first time I ever saw this lure in action was in a video produced in Massachusetts where a dock with no hooks was being used to tease in big bass so fly anglers could hit them with a bait and switch. The first time I ever actually used one was in Montauk, New York, and we'd caught zero stripers all day, despite prime conditions. And then finally, my friend Craig Cantelmo whipped out his dock and we motored tight to the beach. And he said, if they don't eat this, this will at least let us know if there are any fish here. And we had 10 blow-ups and three connections within 30 minutes. This was only about five years ago. But even then, Craig asked me to keep the dock on the down low to keep it a secret. Because so potent was the ability of this lure to call in bass and trigger fish that seemingly were not hungry for many years. Just the mention of a dock resulted in lambasting and cries of dock burn on social media. Now, I've carried a dock with me ever since that trip, and I can't begin to count how many stripers it has made materialize out of the ether when all other methods failed. The heart-pounding follows, man, the toilet flush boils are all worth the need for Icy Hot, because the beauty of that giant stiffy is that it's usually not a little rat striper that comes up to take that swing. Nowadays, you don't have to call the company to order unpainted blanks or strip all that fire tiger off your dock with a belt sander. Several outfitters sell bone docks pre-fitted with tuna-grade split rings and heavy-gauge steel trebles. And as it often goes in this game, there are even a few knockoff docks out there. Now, the two originals I own have been slaying for years, and until I lose them, I'd prefer to just keep letting scrapes and scuffs from striper mouths accumulate, because I like a lure with that broken-in character. Well, that's all we got for you this week, but just to recap, Henry Hill was actually put into the witness protection program in Pulaski, New York. <laughs> Joe exploits his cousins for lure-making materials, ah. and dip tins make terrible fly reels. <laughs> all at least partially true statements. And hey, by the way, if you want a better understanding of how we managed to get Ray Liotta on this program, do yourselves a favor and follow at Paradenoia, that's P-A-R-A-D-E-N-O-I-A on the Instagram. And while you're on your phone, fire an email to bent at themediator.com and tell us all about what we got wrong or what you liked if you're feeling complimentary. Or maybe just give us a fishing report. Either way, we love hearing from you. We do. And, you know, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Or better yet, send this show to some of your fishing buddies. They will either thank you or cuss you out. So, really, you win either way. And until next week, thanks for listening and watch your angle. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com they've got ranches forests mountains streams you name it search by acreage you can search by location you can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of land.com it is where the adventure begins hey we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries now if you're like me enjoying the great outdoors you need gear that is as reliable as it gets that's why i power my adventures with interstate batteries I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, 
They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.